Hi, you're listening to another sermon from Deep Creek Anglican Church. Three crosses on a hill. It's a nice symmetry, hard to put on a necklace. Three crosses. And yet there's something about three crosses that helps us today to focus in on that first Easter that one cross may not have done. Three crosses on a hill reminds us that this was an execution. And it was daily life in Rome. This wasn't just one man symbolically dying. This was the usual. This was how criminals, terrorists, insurrectionists were killed by the empire as a way of sending a message to the rest of the nation. Behave or this will be you. I don't know if you've seen any movies about Nazi Germany or perhaps medieval hangings. Three crosses on a hill tells us that this actually places us in an historical moment. This is not a symbol. This was real life in the first century of this era. But crucifixion was used for many centuries. It was used before Jesus lived and it was used after he died. Some say it was only banned uh, in Constantine's time, although I imagine it had somewhat fallen out of fashion by then. Three crosses on a hill. Jesus dying a criminal's death in day-to-day Rome. Well, of course, three crosses on a hill also speaks to the fact that this was a cast of thousands. You've had the uh, reading, and if we'd started even earlier, you would have met Peter, and you would have met the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin. As we came into it, we met Pilate and Herod, the crowd the two criminals crucified either side of Jesus, the Roman centurion, the women around the cross, and Joseph of Arimathea, a cast of thousands. I love a movie or a TV show with an ensemble cast when they're good because there's always someone that you can identify with. Even if the main character leaves you rather cold, there's always someone. There's something cute going on over here. There's something relatable going on over there. But this cast of thousands represents us in a deeply sobering way. Each of the ensemble, as we come to the crucifixion, is shown mocking Jesus and is put in stark contrast to Jesus' innocence. I don't know if you thought, why are we having this uh, political 
reading. You know, it's kind of in the courtroom, it feels like, and uh, that's always a hard sell. Political dramas, like you've got to have, I don't know, a really good script written by Aaron Sorkin. You've got to have great music written by Lin-Manuel Miranda. You know, you've got to have the best of the best. You've got to have Sean Penn or Robert Redford. You've got to have uh, uh, Anthony Hopkins. And yet we're in this drama that seems almost mundane, at least very much above our heads with Pilate and Herod. But Luke uses it to show us the contrast between every single character in this cast of thousands and Jesus' innocence. Pilate, in taking Jesus to Herod, actually ends up declaring Jesus' innocence three times. The Sanhedrin are shown to be absolutely false in their accusations against Jesus. And then Herod, as he mocks Jesus and sends him back in this bright, shining robe, the same language that Luke uses later on to describe heavenly beings' clothings, clothing in uh, Acts, shows this deep irony Jesus, the innocent king, being mocked by every guilty character in this cast of thousands. Even Herod and Pilate become friends. And you're like, well, that's a strange detail, and we don't find it anywhere apart from in the Gospel of Luke. But Luke knows that there was a prophecy hundreds of years before, in a psalm, Psalm 2. And it described the whole world uniting against the king that God would send to set things right. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? They together rise up against the king, against the son of God. And so when later Luke reflects on this, well, Peter reflects on this in the book of Acts and Luke records it. When Pilate and Herod became friends, this is what has happened. The kings of the earth have united and taken up their stand against the Messiah, against God's chosen one. So even in the midst of this, what we might find difficult to engage with political drama, there is so much going on behind the scenes. These three crosses on a hill remind us of Jesus' innocence and yet the guilt of every other mocking party. Now, when we come out of the courtroom, when we come out of Pilate's time with Jesus and the release of this prisoner, Barabbas, we are left in no doubt that the innocent one has been substituted for the guilty. We sang the words, his wounds have paid my ransom. And Luke doesn't actually record those words in his gospel at all. Mark does. Others do, but here, with Jesus 
taking Barabbas' place in the middle of the insurrectionists, we know that the innocent has been substituted for the guilty. Three crosses on a hill and two criminals crucified, one on his right and one on his left. The good one and the bad one, right? It's often how they're described. There's the good thief, when actually probably they were terrorists who'd been working to undermine the empire. The good one and the bad one. And the problem is that this is one of the criticisms that people have of Christianity and of Christians. That you get a free pass. Christians aren't perfect, they're just forgiven. Christians say they're good because all they've done is claimed God's forgiveness. And so we look at this criminal on the cross, the one who spoke to Jesus and said, remember me when you come into your kingdom, and we say, oh no, that's like a celebrity who's suddenly got religion after we cancelled them on Twitter. No, no, that's someone in jail who's saying, no, no, don't execute me now, I'm a Christian. No, 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 I don't like that at all. But what we don't like about that, and rightly so, is anybody using God or Jesus as a means to an end. And we see it everywhere. We see people using Jesus as a means to power, to success, to money, to a good life. I think it's taken me 20 years to realize that when I became a Christian and I said, I want to be on God's team, a significant part of that motivation was that that'll be the winning team. And that uh, as someone who really wanted to get things right, someone who wanted to be perfect, someone who really wanted to be successful, that was the team to be on. Is that what the good thief is doing? I want to suggest to you that the other thief, the other criminal, the other insurrectionist is actually the one like us that tries to use God and Jesus as a means to an end. He is there as an enemy of the state, someone who is a Jewish person but who has been rising up against Rome. And he feels that if Jesus was the Messiah, Jesus would have granted the revolution success. And so he mocks him along with everybody else. But more than that, he, in the midst of his pain says, if you really are the Messiah, save yourself and us. He comes at Jesus as a means to an end. If you really want me to believe in you, get me down from here. I have a need and it is rather urgent. 
Please meet it if you really want me to follow you, Jesus, the King of the Jews. But instead, the other criminal does not use Jesus as a means to an end. What he does is recognize Jesus for who he is. The innocent king dying for a mysterious plan of God. I don't think he understands all the ins and outs of it, but what he does say is, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me is Jewish religious language to say, bring me along with you when you restore all things. Jewish people in that day would sometimes have that written on their tombstones, not like, don't worry, just remember me, I'll live in your hearts, but remember me, God, on the resurrection at the last day. Don't forget my name in your list so that I might live. And so the other criminal is not saying, forgive me now so that I can live forever. He's recognizing that Jesus is this one that God will use to restore all things. And somehow, even this cross won't stop it. Three crosses on a hill. And only one of them is innocent. And only one of them is the king. Jesus looks at the criminal and he says, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Much ink has been spilled over what that means. Did it mean that the thief was going to go straight to heaven? What about Jesus? He wasn't resurrected on that day. How does this work? What was he promising? What Jesus was saying was that this moment, this cross in between two other crosses, these three crosses on a hill, and one man, the innocent king, was accomplishing at that moment everything that was needed for that man to start again and to have a true hope of restoration for eternity. That moment, that day today, Jesus was accomplishing what was needed. And so when earlier Jesus could look around and say, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they're doing. And I mean, if you think about when you're stressed, when you're hungry, let alone when you're in pain, whether you can say a kind word to anyone, Jesus, the innocent king, calls forgiveness and then he does what it takes for that forgiveness to be given, the innocent one in our place. Luke anticipates that you and I will find ourselves in that ensemble cast. In fact, we'll find ourselves on both crosses 
next to Jesus, wanting to use him as a means to an end, desperately needing him to grant us success, but instead calling us to say, your death on my behalf is what I need. Uh, It wasn't long ago that I decided to go and receive some prayer ministry at uh, another church uh, because, you know, it's a hard thing to always be giving out and it's important to engage with God for myself. And uh, it was quite a creative moment and the person was using sort of flags and scarves and various things and... uh, uh, I had to force myself to really engage with that. But she laid in front of me a red scarf. And she said, God wants you to know that the blood of Jesus is for you. Now, you might be like me in that you've been in church for a long time. And you can get to the point where you feel like uh, you have to be beyond and above and past that. That you've done the thief on the cross thing and you said, remember me, and now your job is to make sure you don't live as a criminal and you're really, really good all the time. Or maybe, like me, you're actually really focused on giving the blood of Jesus to other people. But today, these three crosses on a hill tell us that the blood of Jesus is never in the past for us. It is always now. We have never moved beyond it. We need it just as much today as that thief did, as that insurrectionist, as that criminal did, as we did when we first realized that Jesus was the king. And so as we move towards taking the Lord's Supper, perhaps this Good Friday, you might say, it's for me now. I was quite undone when I pondered that and realized that I wasn't letting it be my day-to-day experience. Perhaps when you come and take, or as we take the, the bread and the juice together later, you may say today, Jesus, remember me this day and always with your death accomplishing my forgiveness. Amen.
just as we prepare for communion, I invite you to stand and sing with us uh, this song. It was finished uh, on that day that um, reflects what happened on the cross. And just as you think about where you stand with Jesus, uh, where you are before him, what that means for you, please um, join with us. It was finished on that day Death was beaten, all darkness was slain All his passion poured out like the rain upon the earth Three days buried, they came to mourn. The stone was rolled away, the veil was torn. For he has risen, he is the king of all the earth. Hallelujah, he
Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus the Pharisee and he says, The Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so as we enter a time of prayer, I want us to keep this verse, uh, John 3, 16, on our minds. And I want to invite you, please take a seat. I want to invite you to um, make this prayer your own uh, by responding in the words in yellow. They should be up on the screen. If you're happy to uh, kill the background as well, that'd be great. A bit easier to see. So I'm going to lead this and I encourage you to respond with the words uh, in yellow at the bottom. Lord Jesus, you came to us as a little child, one of us, flesh and blood, to share in our humanity. For God so loved the world that all might have eternal life. Lord Jesus, you came to us as a fisherman. Your kingdom is a life of spiritual abundance. For God so loved the world that all might have eternal life. Lord Jesus, you came to us as a teacher and opened eyes to truths that only the poor and humble could understand. For God so loved the world that all might have eternal life. Lord Jesus, you came to us as a healer and opened hearts to the reality of wholeness. For God so loved the world that all might have eternal life. Lord Jesus, you came to us as a carpenter, and yet into whose creative hands destructive nails were driven. For God so loved the world that all might have eternal life. Lord Jesus, you came to us as a prophet, priest, and king, and yet humbled himself, humbled yourself to take our place on the cross. For God so loved the world that all might have eternal life. Lord Jesus, you came to us as a suffering servant and revealed to us the extent of his Father's love for humanity. For God so loved the world that all might have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son for the sake of me and you and other sinners too that whoever trusts in him will not die in their sin, but will share in his victory over death and evil. For God so loved the world that all might have eternal life. Amen. Children, if you have prepared your letters, your pictures, your envelopes, uh, then over the next little while as we share Holy Communion and we, as we sing, you're very welcome to go up and stick them onto the heart there. Don't be shy. I called this service the guilt and the grace. And I think we've seen that each of us fall into the guilt category 
but I wonder if you have experienced that grace, the free gift of God in Jesus Christ. Maybe you take communion often, maybe you never do. What we're going to do as we share the Lord's Supper today is that there will be a basket passed around and you will be given a little communion cup which also has a wafer on the top. So it's got two parts. You open the lid, the cellophane lid, and there's a little wafer biscuit in there. And then you open the cup uh, and there's juice inside. We uh, open and then we eat together um, and then we drink together. But uh, you are, if you would like to, say in your soul, I need the grace of God in my life. You're welcome to take communion even if for the first time today. This is an invitation moment and it's a response moment. You might also want to start thinking, what's it going to look like for me to live in this grace in 2022? How am I going to have the blood of Jesus for me each day?